all. It's such an honor to be here. I live in Cleveland, and so it seems like more Wednesday nights I'm there than I am here a little bit. It is two minutes from my house, but I love this church, and I love this house, and I'm always honored, and I always uh, take it with the utmost seriousness when I get an opportunity to speak, and I'm so thankful for our pastors. Can we thank the Lord for our pastors at this church? Amen. You can be seated. I've got quite a bit of scripture, so I'm not going to make you stand through all of it. Thank you to whoever that student was. I'll pass you some some uh, tuition money after after this is over. I was really struggling tonight with what to to speak on. Um, I'm really weird when it comes to um, sermons and messages. Um, I actually don't keep any of my sermons. I don't keep any of my messages. I toss them in the garbage. And I had a pastor, the first pastor I worked for, he goes, what are you doing? Put them in a file. And I was like, if he gave it to me once, he can give it to me again. I'm good. And so I was really struggling that with what I was going to talk about. And the Lord dropped this into my, my heart. And I started thinking about it. And it made sense because um, seeing over the past several weeks all the different graduations and then combining that with Pastor Kevin's uh, sermon this past week that was just absolutely amazing. Anybody hear that sermon? Yes. What a sermon um, and what a response to that and, and so excited about what the testimonies are going to be from that. But with seeing all this and hearing that message Sunday, I really felt like this is what God wanted me to speak on this topic tonight. And we're going to talk about what do I do when I'm waiting on Him? What do I do when I'm waiting on God? And I started thinking about it and, um, you know, what do we do when God has, and this has happened in my life so many times, when God has shown me a word or he has called me or he has given me a vision or somebody's given me a word and you go, okay, what now? Anybody else in the room feel that way? You've had a dream, you've had a vision, you've had a word spoken of your life. And most of the time, very rarely does it happen then and now. Most of the time there is a period after that that you are left going, okay, when is this going to happen? God, what, what am I supposed to do? What's the next step? I wanna know, you know, for me, I'm, I like to plan and I like to have everything organized and my kids are that same way. You get in the car and the first thing out of their mouth is, when are we going home? Where are we going? What are we doing after this? And they come by that really honestly, but that, that is the way we do with God so many times, and especially me. I wanna know what's my next five steps, God? What's coming next? Tell me what, what's ahead down the road. I wanna see the next five steps. Tell me in advance so I know what's coming, but that never really does happen, does it? And so always we get left with a, well, what about now? What's, what's next? I just graduated, what now? I just gave my life to Christ, what now? I just got a word over my life, what now? What do we do in that waiting period? So I wanna talk to you tonight out of uh, 2 Peter chapter one. And this is what Peter says. His, speaking of God, his divine power has granted to us all things 
that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement to your faith with virtue and to your virtue with knowledge and to knowledge with self-control and to your self-control with steadfastness and godliness and to godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided to you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a pretty powerful scripture here. And it's so funny because this is the answer to what do we do while we're waiting. I wanna talk first and foremost of this, uh, on this scripture, if we go to, to verse three, it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. You are not lacking anything. I see this so many times in a lot of young people and especially in a lot of young Christians who are new in the faith and they feel like they are missing something. I want to teach and explain to you tonight, Christ is a completed work in you. He finished it all. There is nothing left for him to do, but to come back and get us. It was all completed. Christ is a completed work. So what do you lack? What do you and I lack? What is it we're missing in our life if Christ is a completed work and we are in him and he is in us, what is missing? But so many times when I talk to a lot of new Christians and I talk to uh, a lot of young people and I, and I teach you know, either at, at RSM or over at our uh, uh, K through 12 school, People I find feel like they are missing something. Well, I could be this in God if I had this and this. Or I could, I could, I could do this thing for God and I could walk this walk and I could, I could uh, fulfill this calling of my life if I had this. Well, that's a lie. There is nothing that you lack. He just said it in this scripture. In his divine power, he has granted to you 
all things that pertain to your life and to living a godly life. You have been given access to everything you need. Well, if I could just pray more, or if I could just read more, or if I could just fast more, if I could get to church on time, or if I could do more, or if I could give more, you are lacking nothing. You lack nothing. Christ did it all. So this, this part of this scripture, this is the faith part. This is the salvation part we're talking about here. This is the faith aspect of, of, of what you and I have to believe here. So if there's anything that you feel that you are lacking, trust me, you are not lacking it. What you are lacking is the faith to believe in what he's done. Because he did it all. And he granted you access to all. So anything that we feel that we are lacking, it is not that I'm missing something in my life. It's that I don't have the faith yet to believe in what he's already done for me. This is our salvation. This is where the faith comes in. This is where we have to believe in what he has done for us. That how many, I, I see this all the time, especially um, in, in new Christians who cannot believe that they are clean. And I tell the, the students over at the school sometimes, I'm like, you know what you need to do? Get up in the morning and look at that mirror and go, I am perfect. I am righteous. I am a joint heir with Christ. But you see, we have been, we have been trained most of our lives, especially those of us. How many of you in this room grew up in church? How many of you grew up in church that you were nothing more than a sinner? You were nothing more than a sinner. You were not a sinner anymore if you were in Christ. You are powerful. You are holy and righteous before God. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ did. You see, your faith is not in you. Your faith is in Christ and what he did. So if our faith is in Christ, then I can sit and look at myself knowing all my, my imperfections and go, I am perfect. I am holy before God because Christ has made me perfect. If we don't believe that, then you don't believe that he was the perfect sacrifice from God. That he really removed all the sin from your life. That his blood that we just sang about really washed you clean. See, that's the first part of this whole process is having the faith to believe in what he's done and who we are now. That's our salvation. We take it for granted so many times in church that people understand salvation. And most of the time they don't. And we wonder why they struggle. We wonder why they come down and, and get saved every week. It's because they don't understand it. I was a youth pastor. I had kids get, get saved sometimes three or four times a week. And I was okay with that because when I was a teenager, I did the same thing. I, I needed to get saved every day after school. At least I thought I did because I didn't understand the work of Christ. I didn't understand what salvation was. 
So when we read this scripture, it is assuming that we understand the salvation of what Jesus Christ did for us and understand that we have access to everything. That there is nothing that is not granted to us that pertains to this life and to live in it in a godly way. Some of you need to remind yourself of what God did for you through salvation. Some of you that have been saved 30 years need to remind yourself what God has done for you through salvation. I have been saved since I was three years old. There are days I need to remind myself what God has done for me through salvation. I used to read the Old Testament and read the, the story of the children of Israel. How many of you ever read the story of the children of Israel come, getting delivered out of Egypt and they come into the wilderness and the first thing they do is, is just forget God? And you go, man, those people are so stupid. How in the world could they walk through the Red Sea, parted, and then totally forget God like five days later? How could these people want to go back to Egypt after being delivered with the mighty hand of God and seeing the ten plagues and seeing all the works and the wonders of God and having manna from heaven come down? How can they just totally forget God? And I used to read that and go, man, these people are so stupid. No, these people are human. <laughs> and you and I are just like it. And it is so easy to forget that we are saved. Take a drive down the interstate and it will be quick sometimes to forget that you are saved. I was, I was going over this in Bible study last night. You know, here's David who has been forgiven of so many things in his life. And he's like, God, I want that guy I want the hammer dropped down on him. I want his wife to be a widow. I want his kids to be fatherless. I don't want anybody to have pity on him. And I love it because it's the humanity of David. It's the same thing as you and I. We forget what God did for us. You are not lacking anything. So this is the faith of your salvation. So now that we understand and we've established this faith of our foundation, so what do we do after this? Seven things are listed in, this, in these verses for us to do. Keep that in mind, seven. We're a, we're a Pentecostal prophetic house. We understand numbers, right? And seven's a pretty significant number. There's seven things listed for us to do. And I want you to see something as we go through this. Number one, I want you to understand this is a progression. And I want you to understand, number two, that there is an end goal to these steps. The Greek in verse 5 reads very differently than what I read for you tonight. In the Greek it says, For this very reason, having brought besides in all earnestness, add or supplement into your faith. Into. You will see that Greek word in every one of these cases saying, and add into it's almost like a recipe, like you're cooking something and you keep adding some ingredient. Seth's here, he's a chef. Whenever you're cooking, you go, you know what? This needs a little bit more. I'm gonna add something else to this. This needs a little salt. I'm gonna put a little salt in this 
I like salt in most of my things. And, and, and that's the way this reads. And so when we read through this progression, you're going to see the author talk about what we add into. And it starts with our faith. It starts with our salvation. And then he says, so to your faith, add into it or supplement into your faith virtue. This word literally means moral excellence. Doing the right thing. So to our faith, we need to add into it doing the right thing. Sounds simple, right? Okay, I got step one. I can do that. Doing the right thing. Okay, moral excellence. Yeah. All right. So and into my virtue, he says, I want you to add into your virtue knowledge. This word means knowledge. It means to understand or objective knowledge, objective learning. So what is he asking you to do? Get knowledge. That's what it is. It's very simple. These steps are really simple. This step is, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm supposed to be doing the right thing. I'm adding that to my faith in Christ and what he's done for me. Okay, step one, check. Step two, I'm adding to that faith, and I'm getting this moral excellence and trying to do the right thing. Okay, now I need to add to that knowledge. Okay, well, how do we get that? Well, I would suggest you start with, let's read the Bible. I'm going to make a shameless plug here for reading your Bible. It is the word of God. John 1.1 says, and Jesus was the, in the beginning was the, yeah. So in John chapter 1, we understand that Jesus himself is the word. So if you love Jesus should love the word. Why? Because Jesus is the word. So we need to read our word. I don't care if it's one chapter a day. I don't care if it's a few verses a day. Read your word. It is it is Christ to you. Read the word. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Because most of the time we look at it and go, man, that's a big old book. I don't think I can read all that. Especially those that, like me that would much rather do audible than read something. Right? I don't think I can read all that. It's 1,189 chapters. If you read... Five chapters a day, you will read through the Bible about every eight months. I get up every morning, and the first thing I do is I make coffee because I need to wake up. And then after I make my coffee, I sit down and I read my Bible, and I read 10 chapters. Now, 1189, I'm an accountant. I'm going to be done in 118 days. 
I can read through the Bible at 10 chapters in the morning. I can read through the Bible three times a year. And that's always my goal, to get 10 chapters in a day, read through the Bible three times a year. I will finish one version. I pick up off my shelf a different version. I'm going to read that version next. When I finish that one, I'm going to grab a different version and read that version next. Why? Because the Word has to be in us. In Joshua, he says, let me meditate on your word so that I will be careful to never disobey you and I will prosper in all that I do. Moses said, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your word that I would not sin against you. If you don't know what's in it, you can't live by it. You have to read. You have to gain knowledge. You have to study. Get a commentary. Get 10. Study. If someone were to hand you a letter and say, if you read this letter, you will never die. I'm pretty sure you would read the letter, right? The power of the word of God in your hands and we don't read it or try to study it or try to understand what's in it. Go to Bible study. Start a Bible study. Talk to other people about the word. Ask questions. I love it when people ask questions. There's other books. Read what other people. There's been a lot of smart people in the last 2,000 years who wrote books and studied the Bible. Read some of those things. Get knowledge and add it to your moral excellence. Then add an into your knowledge, he says, self-control. Oh, this one's my least favorite on the list. Self-control. In the Greek, it means mastery over your own desires and passions. Anybody ever struggle with self-control? Uh-huh. few people? Yeah. Lift my hand up. Mastery over yourself. I would not have wanted to have me as a child. Mastery over our own selves. Self-control. Add to ourselves self-control. Mastering our desires and our passions. This could also be just simply being able to control the fact that you want it your way. This can simply be sometimes for us the issue is maybe we don't have a problem with any kind of addictions or we don't have a problem with, you know, uh, lying or, or whatever. But maybe we have a problem with God's authority in our life. Maybe we have a problem with self-control and having to have it our own way. Add to yourself, add to your knowledge, into your knowledge, self-control. And this next one is really funny because it's no coincidence that comes after self-control. Because you have to have it. So 
into your self-control, you need to add endurance. Well, I had self-control for a week. I was able to control my tongue while I was in church. I was good for three months. That's why this comes after self-control. What is it? It's endurance. It means steadfastness, constancy, consistency. We got to stop being so flaky. We're giving God a bad name because we have no consistency in our life. We're marring the name of, of, of the kingdom of God and marring the, the church and the body of Christ because we can't keep self-control and have endurance and have consistency in our life. Add consistency. Does anybody in here go to the gym consistently? Let me add that part into it. Does anybody go to the gym consistently? Yeah, I donate to my gym. It's only two minutes away. I donate every, every month. I have no consistency when it comes to working out. I'll go work out and I'll, I'll do like the old man thing and just do the little circuit machines, you know. Yeah, that's good. I'm ready. But if I want to look like the bodybuilder on TV, I'm going to have to have some sort of consistency, right? I don't even, I'm, I'm afraid to even mention this, but how many of you uh, have tried a diet? <laughs> it doesn't really work good if you don't stay on it, right? <laughs> you gotta have consistency if you want the end result. If you wanna see the end result in your life, you gotta have the consistency. You've gotta be constant. You can't just go and, and have a prayer life for a week when you need God and, and, and things are going completely wrong. And then when things are great, you don't ever talk to him anymore. And then you wonder, why am I away from God? Why did I fall back into that cycle again? Because I didn't have any consistency. There's no endurance in that. We have to have endurance. We have to have consistency in our walk with God. We have to add to that faith uh, and we have to add into that, that self-control the consistency, the endurance. And when we make it in through this endurance, when we're, we're, we're working on the endurance, then he says, add into your endurance godliness. It's a real general term. But in the Greek, this actually means reverence or respect. Why would God, why, why am I being asked to add into my endurance reverence and respect? I have some theories. These are not interpretations that I would make doctrines out of necessarily, but I have theories. One of my theories is maybe this comes after this because once we've gained a mastery of self-control and we've got some endurance and we see things are going well in our life, maybe we get a little puffed up. We've got some knowledge going. Maybe this is where we get a little, I think I know better. Anybody ever had kids? And they hit that certain age that they think they just know more than you do? My son, he's like, man, I can ride a bike. I know more than you do now. 
we get that way. And I think that, and that's my theory. I mean, don't hold me to it and you can challenge it. I'm okay with that. But I think sometimes this, the placement of this godliness in this passage is maybe because when we have made it through this much of the list, we think we got there. So reverence and respect, sometimes it refers to uh, godly acts, being like God. He says, then unto your godliness, I want you to add brotherly affection. The word here is phileo, brotherly love, love towards the brethren. Can we stop the believer on believer crime that goes on? In God's people, can we stop that? Can we stop the the Christian on Christian crime, where we judge each other and and we we slander each other and and there's no unity and there's division and there's and, and this is in the church and we're gossiping about one another. Add to your godliness, brotherly love. Brotherly affection, a love for the brethren. That refers to the body of Christ here. This is love for fellow Christians. Where is our love in the church? Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciple by the way that you love one another. So number six on the list, we are adding to it brotherly love, loving one another, caring about one another. Everybody gets real scared when we start talking in Acts about how they sold all their possessions and gave it to the church. <laughs> Anybody ever read that? I was like, please don't make me do that. It wasn't about this, you know, this trend going in the first church that they, they, they needed to sell everything they had and, and lay it at the apostles' feet. It was about taking care of the other believers. There's a passage in that when it's talking about in Acts about the first church that I have, it's always stood out to me. And it says, and there were no needs among them because all their needs were met. We get, we get in our fields and we're like, God, send somebody my way that I can show your love to. Did you, did you look around you? Like you're surrounded by people all the time. There's no aura and light coming down from heaven and shining on one individual and go, go be nice to them. Go be kind to them. Go love them. No, he expects us to love one another, especially in the body of Christ. Because we're all one. You remember Paul's writings? The hand can't say to the foot, you know, you're not part of the body. The eye can't say to the, to the hand, hey, you're, you're not part of the body because you don't see. But all members are part of the same body, the body of Christ. You and I all have the same foundation. The foundation of Jesus Christ. There is neither male nor female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, but all are in Christ and Christ in all. We ever read those? That's that reading part, that's the knowledge part, we gotta have that. We have to love one another. We cannot show the world Christ if we have no love inside his body. 
add to us brotherly affection. And then add into your brotherly affection love. And this word is agape, unconditional highest form of love. The love of God, not our love to God. God's love for us. That love. Add that love to yourselves. Agape, unconditional love. Now this love is going to be the love of the, uh, this is the love that allows you to take one on the cheek and turn to the other side. This is the one that allows you to walk a mile and then go another mile. This is the one that allows you to forgive those who wrong you seven times 70. This is the agape love. This is the end goal. This is what we're trying to get to in this whole passage is to get to that agape love where we can love others as Christ loved us so that we can fulfill both the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. That's the end goal. That's what we have, that's the last ingredient in this, in, this, in this pot of stew here is we have to love everyone. Not just the brothers and sisters in the church, everyone, the one that flips you off in, on the car ride into work that morning, the one that, that, that cusses you out at the, at the grocery line because you were in the credit only line. This is where the love for the murderer comes. The love for the one nobody loves. The agape love. That's the last one. That's number seven. Add to brotherly affection love for everyone. Why is this so important? John tells us in 1 John that we cannot love God who we have not seen if we cannot love people who we have seen. He says, it goes pretty strong. He says, you're lying to yourself. The love of God is not in you if you don't love other people. Come on, Pastor Ryan, you are preaching a works gospel tonight. No, I am preaching against a lazy gospel tonight. And I am preaching against a gospel of empty works. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's not just a wedding passage. He says, it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't have love, it means absolutely nothing. You can have all the works you want to have and you can do all the, all the prayer time and you can do all the fasting. You can do everything you can, you can possibly do for the Lord Jesus Christ and you can cast out demons and do all these things in his name. But if you don't have love, you, it all means absolutely nothing. No, this isn't a works gospel. This is a, this is what you add to your faith gospel. Faith is what saved you. This is what perfects it. Why this? Verse eight. If these qualities are in you, in, that means they dwell in you and are increasing. That's an and, not an or. They are increasing. If they're in you and 
they are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective. That is the Greek word for lazy. And unfruitful, the Greek word for barren. So what if I don't have these? He says, you are so nearsighted, you are blind. Is anybody nearsighted in this room? I sit down at the uh, optometrist and I cannot see the big E without my contacts. <laughs> I'm like, it's a, it's a white poster with something blurry on it. I am that nearsighted. I can read fine, but I cannot see anything past probably my hand. And that's what Paul says we are. If we are not doing these things, he said, we are so nearsighted that we are blind. That means, you know what that means? And, I, and, I, and this is so true. And how many of you can testify to this because you know people all around you who are like this? They, their entire world exists right here. They cannot see beyond themselves. And that's what he's saying here. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying, you're so nearsighted, you don't see anything but you, and you are blind. He takes it a step further, and he says, you're so blind, he said, that you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. You have forgotten your salvation. That's scary. You have forgotten your salvation. Verse 10, he says, if we practice these things, practice. If we practice these things, that word practice there means that we do it on our own will. The Greek word there literally means I do it because I want to do it. If we practice these things, you will never fall. That Greek word there, fall, means to fall into misery because you have lost your salvation. That's why he says, do these things, make your election sure. Seal the deal. You started with this faith. You started with this salvation. Seal the deal, he says. Practice these things. And if you do, and these things are increasing in your life, you will never fail. You will never fall to apostasy if you do this. Verse 11, and he says, in this way. It means doing these things we've just talked about. In this way, there will be richly or abundantly provided to you an entrance into God's heaven. Richly and abundantly given to you an entrance into God's heaven. Stand with me. I'm gonna count it, I like practicality. I like to be told my parameters, I like to be told, hey, do this. And sometimes in my walk with God, I have felt like I didn't have those parameters. 
like I didn't know what to do, like I didn't understand what he wanted from me. I was called to ministry when I was 16 years old. I took my first ministry position when I was 22. And about year four and five, I was going, where are you? I know you spoke this over my life. So many people confirmed it. I know that I know that I heard your word that night. I know that you have called me. Where is this calling at? What am I supposed to do? And I got so frustrated with God one time that I got in my truck and I drove up to our family farm up in the mountains. There's nobody, we don't have a neighbor for miles. And go up into the mountains and I, I, I go to the family farm and I go out in the middle of this field and I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna cry out to God and he's gonna answer me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get revelation, I'm gonna get knowledge. So I get on my knees and I raise my hands and I cry out to the Lord. Nothing. Not even a goosebump. At least get a goosebump. I go back to my truck, a little dejected, a little angry, a little angry at God. I start to drive away and the Holy Spirit says, you know what to do. Well, if I knew what to do, I wouldn't have came out here. Anybody have those for real, for real talks with God? I think you're wrong because I came up here because I don't know what to do. Once again, the Holy Spirit says, you know what to do. I said, God, I don't know what to do. That's why I'm here. He said, do the things I've told you to do and do them well, and I'll take care of the next. So that's who I'm talking to tonight. If you've ever been in that spot, if you've ever struggled and go, I don't know what's next. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm just sitting here doing nothing for you, Lord. And, and I feel like there's so much potential and there's words been spoken over my life. And I've, there's so many things I feel like I'm supposed to do, but I'm just sitting here not doing anything. You know what to do. When you don't know what to do, this is what you do. When you don't know what's next in your life, you do this. You practice these things. You do them well and he has the next in your life. When I took my first ministry position, I was working for a bank. I just built my first house. Casey and I had just had a will. It was a month old. And right before we moved in, I felt I could almost hear the Holy Spirit crying to me, come away, come away. Shut out all, all the noise and come, just get away from it all. I'm like, God, I don't know what you're talking about. What, what does this mean? But I tried to, you know, go home and not watch the TV or, or go home and, and just read, just pray. And I'll never forget, I came home one day and I looked at Casey and I said, I feel like God's calling us to Mobile to do ministry. She looks up at me and she goes, 
Okay. We've been in our house, what, maybe a month, maybe a month and a half. Brand new baby, first child. Mobile, for you that don't know, I grew up in Athens, just north of here. Mobile's about 400 miles away. I had no clue. I go into work the next day and I get online and I put in an application with Regions Bank. They called me that afternoon and hired me. I turned in a three-week notice, put my house up for sale, and a week and a half into that three-week notice, I get a call from a guy I had never even heard of in my life, and he had never heard of me. And he said, you don't know who I am, but I'm a pastor in Mobile, Alabama, and I need a youth pastor. You wanna come interview? And I was like, going there anyway yeah sounds good we were hired as youth pastors down there and we were down there for 11 years doing ministry you don't have to worry about the next you don't have to create an opportunity for yourself all that will do will leave you frustrated all that will do is leave you disappointed do these things and he has the next step for you don't get caught up in the complacency and the idleness of waiting and not doing anything do these things whenever I teach because I'm definitely not a uh, preacher like Pastor Kevin when I teach I like to ask some questions and these are the questions I want to ask you tonight I want you to think about these things number one what is it that you feel that you are still lacking it's just a faith thing you lack nothing it's right here right between your ears that's all that you're lacking you're lacking nothing more than faith I want you to ask yourself this where am I in this progression of these seven things tonight what am I practicing what have I left off the list what am I not adding into where am I in this progression question three Am I working towards the goal of agape love? Is that my end goal? Number four, what am I doing while I wait on him? Bow your heads with me tonight. As I pray for you tonight, I wasn't intending on doing an altar call, but I feel in the room that there's some people who you're just frustrated. You just don't know what's next in life. And you can't see what's ahead. 
and it has left you idle and feeling unfruitful and feeling like you're not doing anything. And I believe God's gonna change that tonight. So as I pray for you tonight, if that's you, if you're in this room and you just feel like you're just stuck, you've got a word over your life, God's given you a vision for what's ahead in your life and you just feel stuck. I wanna pray with you tonight. And we have some, some prayer team members here that will pray with you as well. But I want you to know this, you're not stuck. You're not stuck. Oh Lord God Almighty, God, thank you for showing in your word what we are supposed to do. Thank you, Lord, that your word teaches us tonight. Thank you, Lord God, that I lack nothing, but all things have been given to me, Lord God, that pertain to this life and to this, living this life in a godly way. God, there is nothing, Lord God, incomplete in you. There is nothing incomplete in Christ Jesus. There is nothing undone, Lord God. But when you saved me and you took me from a life of sin, Lord God, God, you did it all for me. You gave me everything I would ever need, Lord God, to walk this walk for you, to live this life for you, Lord God. God, there's no need for me to struggle because everything's been given to me, God. Everything was poured out. Everything was done so that I could do this for you, Lord so that I can have purpose in my life, so you can look at me one day and say, well done, good and faithful servant, Lord God. I lack nothing in my life. My imperfections do not disqualify me because you knew them when you called me, God. My failures do not disqualify me, Lord God, because you knew them before you ever spoke my name. My righteousness is in you. And my holiness is in you, Lord God. And I am a child of God. And Lord God, I will not sit idly, Lord God. We will not sit idly. We will not be lazy Christians and, and live a lazy gospel, Lord God. But God, we will practice these things. We will add to the faith that you have given us, Lord God, the measure of faith that you have given us. We will add to that faith virtue, Lord God. And we will add to that virtue knowledge, Lord Jesus. And we will add to that knowledge, Lord God, self-control, Lord God. And we will add to the self-control godliness, Lord God. We will add to endurance, Lord God. And we will add to the endurance godliness and to godliness brotherly love and to brotherly love agape love, Lord God. We will practice these things, Lord God, so that we will not fall away from you. Because, God, you have the next. Because, God, you have the next in their life, Lord God. God, and the souls, the lost souls, Lord God, are dependent, Lord God, on our faithfulness to you. God, you want to take us and do so much through us, Lord God. And if we prepare, Lord God, you have the next. And I pray right now in this room, Lord God, if there is someone in this room, Lord God, who has been waiting on the next and 
waiting on the next and waiting on the next, Lord God. And they've been met with disappointment and frustration, Lord God. And, and, and Lord God, blindness and wondering where they are, Lord God. I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, let them follow this roadmap, Lord God, because you are going to take them. You're going to use them. All your promises, Lord God, are tied up into this. If we are faithful, Lord God, we will not fail. We will not fall, Lord God. But we will enter into that next. I pray for your people tonight, Lord God. May we be found practicing these things. May these things be found in us and increasing in us, Lord God. That we would not be blind but that we would see your kingdom come, that we would see your will be done, Lord God, that we would see the kingdom of our God grow and expand, that we would be able to enter in, Lord God, richly be granted the entrance to your everlasting, eternal kingdom. May we not be frustrated, Lord God. May we, we be diligent, Lord God. May we be servants, obedient servants in your kingdom. God, I bless your people tonight, Lord God. God, I pray over them tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. God, that the word of the Lord God Almighty would increase in their hearts, Lord God. Lord God, that you would open their ears to hear and their eyes to see, Lord God. Reassure them tonight, Lord God, they are yours. And we will do great things in your mighty, mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Be blessed as you go tonight. Love you. We will see you back on Sunday morning.